While asana is largely isometric in nature, they are not the same as exercise. Let's now see what the difference is between exercise and asana. Firstly, in terms of approach, and then let's understand the science behind it. The biggest difference comes from the difference in the approaches of modern science and the ancients towards the understanding of the relationship between the body and mind. But this difference is getting narrower. According to the current understanding of modern science, the brain is where the real action is. Pain is a phenomenon produced by the brain as we have just seen. In yoga, we have no quarrel with this. But we also see the brain as the executive command center with the cerebral cortex as a resident chief executive, collating sensory inputs and memory to create an assessment of a threat. But the decision-making power is not with the brain. The decision-making power is with intelligence, what we call buddhi in yoga darshan. And buddhi is not a function of the brain, but is the lord of the brain. Buddhi is also not restricted to the field of material, but belongs in the field of consciousness. Probably why science is yet to deal with this, as we are yet to accept in science that there is more to reality than material reality. Ideally, buddhi is meant to be in charge of its first child, ahamkara. Ahamkara is the sense of identity. The first thing that arises when we wake up from deep delta level sleep. Ahamkara is said to evolve from buddhi. But as we have seen, it is not always the case that buddhi controls ahamkara. In fact, we often find that it is reverse. Our sense of identification, what we call ego, is so complete that we are not able, for example, to realize what science says, that what we see with our eyes as the world out there is not being seen in real time. We see a fraction, around 2-5% to of what our eyes take in, and this is not even in real time. Our brain filters out most of the data and constructs a video and presents it to us as reality, one in which only the center is absolutely clear. The mid-portions and the edges of our visual canvas are blurred. So clearly, the brain is more like a film production unit. Being aware, therefore, implies being aware of this process, which the ancients called maya meaning a measured or constructed reality. Not being aware of it means that the brain is in an auto mode, constructing reality based on an algorithm that is an extension of what it is habituated to. It is in this state that it feels that the brain is the king and the brain controls all. 
It is this identification with past experiences that adds up to our sense of identity, ahamkara, which leads to psychological pain, where we can feel quite bad about getting bitten even by an insect, which is not at all personal. So here, the intelligence is not in its right place. Yoga treats this upstart form of ahankara, ego, as klesha, an impediment to our sense of well-being. And this state of being results in vikshipta chitta, a disturbed state of mind that is prone to all kinds of disturbance, disease and pain. This is virtually a state of siege, a coup of sorts, where the chief executive holds the chairman hostage and makes it seem as if this is the way it should be. This state in itself is the root of all things psychological because the brain while being the most amazing creation we know of, is still a material body with material processes, much like a super advanced information processor and server, which is way beyond what we can fathom, and yet is still limited in that it is an information processor and server. Its output can only be a function of its input. It is not the source of freshness, intelligence, creativity, which are qualities of buddhi, intelligence, which the yoga vision does not regard as being embodied in a person or a particular entity, but as a universal phenomenon that touches all of creation. In that sense, this buddhi is what we all really share. But when the brain is given preeminence through the working of the ego, there is a fight between the powerful information processor and the ever-fresh intelligence. And it's a fight in which we get done in by five vritti or the modifications of the mind. Pramana, Vipariyaya, Vikalpa, Nidra, Smriti. Translated literally as right knowledge, wrong knowledge, imagination, sleep, and memory. What they exactly mean are pramana means sensory knowledge, which can be so misleading, like how we saw in part two, where in one instance, a snake bite was ignored as a trick by the famous pain researcher, Professor Lorimer Mosley. And after a few months, when it happened again, he felt paralyzed by the bite and had to be carried to his tent. But only this time, it was actually a prick from a twig. This is a problem of pramana. Pramana means testimony of our senses sense organs. Vipariyaya is usually called wrong knowledge. But in elaboration, 
the Yoga Sutra says that it is mythical knowledge, mithya jnanam, more precisely a belief. Like it was once believed that the sun and all planets went around the earth. The people who discovered that it was not true weren't the ones who had a chance to do space travel. They simply didn't buy into that belief because it was a belief and that allowed them to be open. The third form of vritti is vikalpa, speculation. We can speculate about the virus and feel terrible. It could make us go bearish on the entire stock market instead of really studying it to make better investment choices like the mask industry or select pharmaceuticals. So here, it is a form of imagination that is speculative, that affects our clarity, and so our choices, and so our lives. It is not a reference to the creative faculty of imagination, which is a way to tune in to that very intelligence. Next comes Nidra which is not all of sleep, but the loss of awareness in sleep. And so that's why in the mountains they say, Shwana Nidra, sleep how a dog sleeps if you're a yogi. Because if you've noticed, when a dog sleeps, any sound that it hears all around, its ears will move around the chest. So even as it's sleeping, it's aware. So when we're not doing this, when we become unconscious in sleep, that becomes a vritti, where we lose our awareness. The fifth vritti is called smriti, which is interpreted literally as memory. But the correct way to see it is as the Yoga Sutra say, not letting go of experiences. Anubhuta vishaya sampramosha smriti. Not letting go of experiences is smriti, which means allowing the memory of past experiences to cloud your vision, bias your judgment, making you repeat what you have experienced manifesting your fears because they have become your habits, forming deeper grooves of habits in the brain. So this fight, this state of unseating of intelligence by the ego, results in the five fundamental aspects of disturbance or vritti, depending entirely on sensory knowledge, which is measurable, also called maya which is where our scientific thinking is stuck. But many of the frontiers of research are breaking it. This is why yoga treats bodies many problems as arising from these mental causes or vikshipta chitta and says that to be even physically well, we need to address these issues of the mind. As the brain gets toxic, 
when it is in the field of a disturbed mind and a toxic brain results in all kinds of psychological imbalances which manifest as physical ailments. Now, we have taken a small detour just to know where the concept of asana is coming from as opposed to exercise. We can now look at the differences between asana and exercise, including isometric exercise, in how it approaches mental illness and pain. So we will go point by point, with the first point being, exercise says train the brain, whereas asana says untrain the mind. To deal with pain, modern physiology says train the brain, whereas yoga says the problem is the habitual patterns of the mind. So untrain the mind. Yoga says don't analyze pain, unlearn the pain and release the habits that underlie trauma. Second, healing tissue damage versus altering pain settings. Through exercise, physiotherapists aim at healing pain associated with tissue damage, whereas through asana, we aim at healing tissue damage, but more than that, we also aim at altering the pain settings of the nervous system. Precision training versus cool effort. Through exercise, the therapist seeks to employ precise training to enhance inhibitory control of pain circuits, and wonderfully so. Whereas through asana, we aim at going in a completely opposite direction by relaxing effort and releasing cell and muscle memory. The next point is exercise looks at the problem as the creation of the brain, the pain as the creation of a particular pattern of the brain. Whereas in yoga, we look at it as a creation of the mind. While the physiologist looks at all pain perception as originating in the brain, the yogi researcher of today sees all pain in the mind as reflected in the brain and body. It's a little like whether the earth goes around the sun or the sun goes around the earth. Science has reached the point today where it can be shown that the origin of pain is not in the brain, but it has not yet reached the point where it can be shown to be the mind, because consciousness and the mind as yet are not included in the ambit of modern scientific inquiry, as yet. The next point of comparison between exercise and asana is raising the heartbeat versus keeping it down. Exercise physiology looks at the heartbeat only in terms of how raising it signals the body to ramp up its drive and recruit different sources of energy. We can know as physiologists how your VO2 max determines whether your body will burn fat or carbs for a given task. In asana, we aim at keeping the heartbeat 
close to the resting heartbeat as we do not want to trigger off the sympathetic nervous system as this is what happens when we sense danger as arousing the sympathetic nervous system is not conducive to healing. But we don't stop there. We work separately through pranayama in increasing the capacity of the body to perform a given task at lower heart rates, implying greater cardiovascular resilience. But we achieve this completely without creating oxidative stress and tissue damage and that is why yoga has always made you look younger whereas with intense exercise people tend to age faster. Yoga tends to tone your stress response down whereas exercise tends to upregulate your stress response. Exercise does not shy away from triggering off a good dose of catabolism including breaking of muscle fiber at the microscopic level so that in the process of healing they can become stronger. In the process, not shying away from triggering off a cascade of free radicals and increasing toxicity, making exercise less sensitive to the effects of aging. Whereas asana aims at being completely anabolic, taking care to keep the heart rate at normal levels or at low levels by having you do shavasana or deep rest between postures and preferring to maintain the workout intensity at sub-maximal levels, making asana age reversal friendly and healing. The next point of comparison between exercise and asana is workout versus vacation. In a way, in the exercise philosophy, we worship labor, a workout centered around the philosophy of no pain is equal to no gain. The philosophy of asana, on the other hand, is more like, don't worry, be happy, sung by a famous singer from America, given to him by a reward yogi from India. An asana session is more like your daily vacation. Improving functionality versus freedom from afflictions. In exercise, you look for results in the function of brain, nervous system, hormones, improvement in the metabolism, muscles, whereas in asana, we aim at freedom from afflictions. Technique versus absorption. The approach of exercise is intense effort with the mind concentrated on the muscle group, technique or posture. Whereas the technique of asana is cool effort absorbing the mind on the beyond. Gar hoti nahi mutmayini bocharon se kabhi aana chhat par bezubaan hokar barsenge sailab khalwat nishani ke if a drizzle does not bring peace to your heart, come over to the terrace wordlessly in silence. A deluge 
will spring open of solitude loving, come over as a blessing of our shared voice. The next point of comparison between exercise and asana is openness versus avoidance of fatigue. Well, fatigue is considered as normal in exercise. Fatigue is avoided in classical asana practice. Performance versus happiness. Well, exercise aims at stimulating testosterone and endorphins. Asana aims at a whole soup of age-reversing and anabolic neurochemicals ranging from serotonin, relaxin, oxytocin, melatonin. Alertness versus awareness. Well, exercise seeks to max out on alertness and energy levels. Asana aims at a balance between energizing and alertness on one hand and relaxation and awareness on the other. Exercise treats rest and relaxation as subsidiary and not as the main focus, thus working on one half of well-being. Asana, on the other hand, gives equal importance to the states of activity and rest, thus working on both aspects of well-being and regards, like in Ayurveda, imbalance as the root of all illness. So in asana, we look at day and night with equal reverence. We look at light and dark with equal reverence. And we consider action, activity and relaxation and healing with equal reverence. Fitness versus wellness. Exercise philosophy has evolved today to the point where it considers fitness as an important aspect of health and happiness. So the approach is stay fit to be healthy and happy. Whereas yoga does not see them as separate and therefore does not have separate paradigms for each. This has allowed us to evolve, for example, an approach called artistic yoga, where in 12 hours a month, you can address your complete well-being. For this to happen, the vision that was set forth thousands of years back has allowed practitioners to come up with hundreds and thousands of practices, which today have come handy in creating a simple and condensed format where a layperson can do so little to achieve so much. For a long time, the fundamental target of exercise has been fitness, specifically strength and endurance. Whereas in yoga, the goal has always been happiness. So while in exercise we fundamentally work on the strength of the muscles, including the heart and the diaphragm, in yoga, we have also worked on the many sheaths of our being, the energy body, the breath body, the mental, psychic, and bliss bodies. We have laid equal emphasis on the endocrine, nervous, digestive, excretory, 
and the lymphatic systems, all of which is easily done in a compact way because the goal was always an all-encompassing one. Happiness was defined more in terms of that which is permanent and fundamental. So in the process of exploring the most fundamental, the common denominator of everything, the kind of practices were themselves integrative. One practice did not need to be compensated for its negative effects by another. So every practice was integrated in an individualized process for each practitioner based on his or her goals and stage of development. So the practices became multidimensional. In Block 5, people look at how asana, while incorporating the best practices as emerging from current research, such as isometric exercise, working in the fat burn zone and so on, also works on the mind and body as one. We will also see how asana is placed within the concept of ashtanga in yoga and see how we can live lives where our very way of life is a healing one. We will conclude with a poem titled The Healing Hand. The vast horizon of beauty we come to see by the edge of a cliff where the sky spans free. The wild melody in the winds we come to hear in the breeze whistling through an old banyan seer. The vigor in oceanic waves we come to sense standing by the still shores with sands dense. The spirit inherent in our breath we come to know, overcome by momentary pause in its flow. The healing hand of clear light we come to hold, in spite of the darkness, reaching wherever we behold. Lots of love, Bharat.